Hello, welcome to the At YouTube Podcast, episode number 85, where we're talking YouTube news and tour dates and album news and community discussions from the staff of AtU2.com. I'm your host, Chris Enns, and I'm joined on this episode by Mason Merritt. Hello, Mason. Not Hi. <laughs> Not Mason Merritt is here, and he keeps shrinking and disappearing on us because his satellite of love for internet is floating away caught in an electrical storm there you go <laughs> and uh mr colin welcome back colin thank you very much and uh, you've got a storm as well apparently right yeah well it's, it's yeah we need it <laughs> and sherry welcome back hey you and i are rock and roll my friend <laughs> yeah for those watching or those not able to watch uh colin and sherry are both rocking their uh what's uh what are the shirts called? The megaphone shirt, I guess, Uncasville, right? Uncasville, baby. Uncasville, Chicago. <laughs> Somehow they fit Uncasville on a shirt. And, uh, and sold God bless some. you. <laughs> Somehow they fit it on the tour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll cover that in a moment. But uh, when we get to uh, – sh- well, this is Sherry's life of the last month or so. But um, just in terms of uh, some YouTube news and stuff that has happened over the last little while, actually, Sherry's been, our, uh, in a sense, our roving reporter – um, not paid by mind you, but, uh, first of all, I guess going back in the history archives, you were back, uh, when was the dates of the U2 conference in Belfast that happened? You were at a bunch with a bunch of, uh, at U2 staffers as well who were there. Yeah. Um, hopefully we'll get Scott Calhoun on to give a, a, uh, a fuller recap, but it was, uh, about two and a half days of deep dives into the academicness of U2, um, looking primarily at pop as pop vision and how it ties into the 20th anniversary of the Belfast of, um, of the Northern Ireland peace agreement. So we held it in Belfast with, uh, support from Queens university and the George Mitchell's, uh, Institute for peace and the Ulster museum, which was, uh, just awesome. Everybody was, was just so friendly and so kind and uh, we had uh, uh, Steve Avril and Sean McGrath uh, from from Amp Visual Design give a keynote. We had um, Catherine Owens uh, give a keynote. Um, we had Stuart Bailey, who just wrote an awesome book uh, called Trouble Songs. I highly recommend it. All about the role of music in the um, in the troubles uh, and in the peace. Um, um, up in Northern Ireland. So that was great. But I have to say that, that my favorite part happened between Steve Stockman and, uh, Andy Rowan talking about, uh, Andy's story and how Bono came to write bad and, uh, raised by wolves, um, all about him and the issues that, uh, happened because of the bombings back in 1974. What was weird was, uh, um, um, Andy actually brought the shrapnel. I mean, Bono said in interviews that he carries around the shrapnel with him. And we thought that's kind of odd, but he really does. And it still has the smells of 1974. It's smooth. Mm. It's in a, uh, uh, it's in the shape of, of a gun almost. And Andy uses it sometimes just to, you know, uh, uh, remind himself of the fact that he survived a lot in his life. And what was really funny was um, he was talking about his journey to uh, recovery and that it brought him to um, a clinic in Cleveland in uh, 2011 
And when he completed his, uh, his uh, uh, cycle there, he was invited to go to see you two in Pittsburgh. And of course, if you went to the show, you know that Bono uh, 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 threw in bad at the end of the show, which put the band over their uh, uh, allotted time. And so the band ended up paying uh, quite a bit of money for going over curfew, but it was well worth it. So Andy asked uh, uh, the crowd uh, gathered, you know, well, how many of you were in Pittsburgh? And of the 65 or so of us who were there, three quarters of us had our hands up. He goes, oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Because what are the odds that, you know, you got people in Belfast who went to a concert in Pittsburgh in 2011, you know, but we're we're the type who travel. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of neat. Um, uh, A lot of the presentations and that are available or will be available on youtubeconference.com. And I know that Scott's going to be doing uh, some more wrapping up of of the conference as as the summer goes on. So check out the website. It was a lot of uh, it was a lot of fun. And and I just want to say thank you again to the hosts and um, and for making it just such a wonderful immersion of all things you too. So it was awesome. Yeah, we'll have, hope to have uh, Christopher Endernall, uh Who else? Tim was there talking. Yeah. Um, I'm forgetting someone, uh, Scott, obviously, uh, there's probably other people who are, were there anybody else from at yeah, you two? Yeah, Beth, um, Beth Nabby, uh, yeah, the at you two. Beth was the there project. and, uh, um, Angela Pancella, uh, uh, at you two Emeritus was there as well. And, uh, it, it, they were just a lot of people with a heart for the band. So it was nice. Yeah. Very cool. And then sort of coming back to the other side of the pond, you, <laughs> you got, uh, an invite uh, or won an invite, I guess, to the Bono and Edge's beach house party. Yeah, I, I, it wasn't exactly winning an invite. Uh, uh, I had contacted um, Entercon Communications, who's the parent company for uh, uh, WWBX uh, or uh, Mix 104.1. Now, not to be confused, WBCN used to be 104.1, but when they went off the air, the uh, stations changed around in Boston. So I was able to cover it as um, as uh, actual media. Oh, cool. Um, Got to interview um, uh, Leanne O'Mara and her family. Um, she was the grand prize winner, winning a week at a luxury million-dollar beach house on Cape Cod, and then uh, uh, ending her stay at the beach house with Bono and Edge performing at it, uh, which was just amazing. She had a family fly in from Florida, South Carolina, driving in from Pennsylvania, Connecticut, all points throughout Massachusetts. And this is a family who... Um, loves the band. They are diehard fans. They're not big on social media or, or, you know, online um, all that much, but they just have a heart for the band. And so she said it was like picking a wedding uh, uh, where, where people were going to receive the invite. She wanted to make sure that the people who went appreciated the music and not just the coolness factor of getting to see them on the beach house. So you had the Boston area winners, then uh, 96.5 um, WTIC in in Hartford, Connecticut, had a winner who could bring 10 guests to the Beach House uh, just for the performance. And then there were other radio stations in, uh, I think it was San Francisco, Houston, Kansas City, and I think one or two other cities that flew a guest and a friend out just for the Beach House as well. So it was a mix of um, radio contest winners and their guests, a lot of radio executives, advertisers, 
Um, um, but in all, there were about 200 people on the lawn. And then there were, because the house was, was right against the Cape Cod Canal, um, uh, you had people in boats and kayaks and canoes and floaties uh, navigating the canal out on the water. And then just across, you could see people over on the beach and the sound system was good enough that if you were over on the beach, you could hear it too. So it was a very unique situation and it was a six song set. Um, and it's the only performance so far, uh, public performance of um, Summer of Love, uh, which I'm anticipating will probably make its way into the set for the European leg. Yeah. Do you think it'll, I kind of wonder if they want to keep it as a, just like a special thing or if they're actually going to bring it into the set list now that they've actually done it once. Cause edge, like I watched your video, obviously in an, or an edge made deliberate comment of like, Hey, this is the first time we play this live anywhere. So one would hope they will. I know there's a lot of uh, pent up demand for it. Um, yeah. but. Well, we'll see. We'll see when the tour kicks off uh, again, August 31st. I, I know it just finished a couple days ago over here, but <laughs> we're already projecting to the end of August to, to pick it back up again. Yeah. I feel like it could be like it could if they were had to replace something in the show to fit that song in i feel like that's the staring at the sun song that they could throw in and just do it that way acoustically um you know just to kind of change the message to to more of a, a european message whereas staring at the sun was very much geared towards what's going on over here in the states um that's kind of how i look i really like that the, the acoustic version of it. I mean, I think I thought it sounded fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mason, did you work on that, that on your guitar yet? Have you figured out that intro? <laughs> I'll save that for the post-show jam session. <laughs> <laughs> that a go. Yeah. It, actually for as a guitar nerd, it's, it is nice to see edge up close like that, like Sherry captured for us all and uh, seeing how he's playing that little lick that starts at the beginning of, uh, of summer of love. And, uh, um, yeah, I was working on it myself trying to figure it out exactly, but, um, yeah, we'll see. I think it could, I mean, there's obviously parallels to what's going on in the States in Europe too. So it could be that they yeah. want to keep that staring at the sun moment, but with just different visuals, maybe, um, Sweden and et cetera, that have <laughs> their own uh, related issues, um, all across Europe. But, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we won't get into too much, uh, prognation about, uh, <laughs> what's happening, what's going to happen with Europe. But, um, the other thing we want to mention, so. It's as we record today on Thursday, October, October, July 5th, no. speaking of getting ahead of ourselves, <laughs> uh, is uh, that it's Europa's 25th anniversary and we're going to be, we're planning to have a full episode. We did the album review, of course, of, of Europa a while back. Uh, we went through every album that you two has put out and discussed them in depth. So you can go back and listen to that if you want today. We'll put a link in the show notes, but also we'll have a at some point later this month here we're going to have uh, a couple of a few folks who are zeropa what um fanatics zeropas zeropans sure. whatever colin you're one of them what's in brief i Europeans, guess what's yeah. yeah what's the appeal of zeropa for those of us those i actually like it but for other folks who maybe don't for some reason think it's not among the greatest youtube albums i just i just love the spontaneity of it i just love the story behind how it was made first of all and i think there's it always sounds incredibly fresh when i listen to it one of the reasons why is because none of the songs on the album have been played to death on tour so (laughs) 
you know, uh, that's that that had some appeal too. And it's just it's just you two like not really caring about, you know, having the radio friendly hit or anything like that. It's just we have these ideas. Let's get it out there and let's not second guess ourselves and or bring in another producer to make it more radio friendly. Let's just put it out there. And if people love it, great. If they don't, it's okay. We have we're still on tour. We still Octum Baby's still selling. We're fine. Uh, and and it ended up being this kind of accidental masterpiece, which uh, you know it never it never gets old for me. Just you know, from track one to track ten, you know, uh, there's just it's just it's it's I still notice things in it that I never noticed before, and there aren't too many albums like that, uh, you know, let alone U two albums like that. So. Yeah, it has. Uh, I was listening to it today. It has a lot of uh, a lot of fun textures to discover, and just little things yeah. to that pick that you pick out when you're listening, and little piano lines, little loops, and stuff that are in there. That uh, it, it's it is impressive for how quickly they recorded it that they got all that. Layer it sounds like done. it took years to make. It didn't. It took well, mo- a couple of months, were, you know. Well, I mean, I know some though, of it's been around for a while, but yeah, yeah, some of it were yeah. were uh, a dregs off of Octon Baby that they were able to, you know, <laughs> right. resurrect a little bit. The dregs of Octon Baby. That's the <laughs> <laughs> that was. I think that was the tagline for it, right? That was when they promoted it. <laughs> all right, for the at YouTube roundtable for this episode, we're going to talk a bit about uh, just recapping and reviewing. Uh, experience and innocence the tour has finished now in north america and uh we all collectively i didn't add it up beforehand i guess but we've seen uh enough of the shows i feel like anyways to be able to give a a varied opinion on it there's 27 shows in total as i counted them uh not counting apollo and and sherry's beach house um and it's across 17 cities she was my beach house. <laughs> It did look like dollar beach house. Thank you very much. It did look like they were performing in a John Irving novel. I got to say (laughs) more Nicholas Sparks, but I get what you're saying. (laughs) Uh, So I thought we'd break this up into some, I I don't know if you guys have itemized lists or not, but positives, negatives, and then hopes and dreams for Europe and beyond for this tour. So maybe just starting off with, I guess some of the positives that you really saw on, on this tour, you can, you don't have to give a recap of every single show, obviously, but just like how many shows of this tour did you see and what were some of the positives that you saw coming out of this tour especially if you did see uh, innocence and experience sort of how it relates to this new frame of the tour um i don't know who wants to kick us off here but uh we can go clockwise mason yeah i mean i got uh, i got to see the first show and then the second to last show and then a special event kind of in between and um i think it is a strong it was a strong tour. There was nothing. I don't think there were any glaring weaknesses about it. I think there were plenty of strengths, but, um, you know, post show on Sunday night, I went out with fellow at you two staff or Tasula and friend of the show, uh, Michelle. And we kind of all came to the same conclusion in terms of rankings that we all liked innocence and experience best Joshua tree second, and then experience and innocence third. And that's, you know, may sound like it's the, the redheaded stepchild so to speak but i think it more speaks to the fact that this is so radically similar i guess it's radical in the sense that you strip away you know all these hallmark songs and you change around uh certain production elements you add so much new stuff but it's also the same as innocence and experience in uh in many ways so i think it much like zaropa i think it's 
it's an addendum to innocent ex- innocence and experience and maybe a little bit less a sequel it's kind of finishing the thought instead of uh conjuring one up for itself so that's what i'll say uh, just to kick things off sure colin how about you any uh, on the positive side of the fence Oh yeah. Um, I, this is, I think this tour is fantastic. I mean, the one gripe you could say is, you know, not enough spontaneity, but the show that's there, I think there's a lot to talk about. Um, and I think of their, of all the tours that I've seen, starting with zoo TV, uh, it is the most conceptually coherent tour that they've done since zoo TV. Um, I mean, it's, it is a performance. It is not a rock show. And, um, and I just, I, I think it's the perfect, uh, you know, coda to innocence and experience. It's the, it's the perfect bookend to like, from where that show started to where this show ends, I think is so moving. Uh, that's the, that's the thing for me. This is a really moving performance show. Uh, it's really poignant. It's satirical. It's funny. It's, uh, I, I get excited b- about it. There's, I don't think there's a dull moment in it. I think I wasn't there opening night, uh, you know, which was obviously a much longer show than it ended up being later on, but it's, it's a tight show. I, I you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm really happy that they stuck to their guns with the set list and they, they, you know, didn't cave into any, any kind of fan pressure. They said, this is the show. This is what we're doing. This is what excites us. And, um, and, uh, you know, I, it, it thrills me to no end that, you know, they went all out. They brought back Macfisto and they brought back Acrobat and they nailed them into the show. You know, they, they weren't going anywhere. Um, and, you know, I, I just I absolutely love that. So I'll stop because I'll just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> we do have time right now, but uh, we'll give yeah, Sherry a chance to. <laughs> Sure, what um well let's hear i saw it in tulsa uniondale both boston's um uncasville um and uh followed along online for most of those other shows uh doing our online stuff and acrobat was the the crown in the the crown jewel of this tour um for the fans it was that that one song off of Octane Baby that we all wanted to hear. But as everybody has pointed out, you've got to have the right tone going into it. You've got to have the right mood going into it. And I remember coming out of Tulsa saying, wow, that was different. Um, the show grew on me. Um, but this is a show that's not necessarily designed for people who are going to go to multiple shows um, and it really shouldn't have been designed for people who go to multiple shows. So once again, like what others have said, I'm glad that they stuck to their guns and, and kept it as a performance. This was a piece of performance art. It wasn't a concert to me it, because it, it was so similar every single night. The only thing that changed was song five. You know, it was either going to be a Gloria night, it was going to be a red flag night, um, it, or or it was going to be, you know, uh, uh, all because uh, of you, uh, all because of you night. That was the rotation. That was the only mm-hmm. place where you could get a rotation. And I know that Tulsa, you know, it was a slightly longer show, but they threw in there Raised by Wolves. There's only a few shows that that song remained in. But, you know, I, I, I will agree that that was uh, a two 
too much of the innocence tie-in. You you could have put in another song, um, and there were other songs that they could have rotated in, like "Please" or "Gone," uh, uh, just to keep up with the uh, pop theme. But this is a show where you're not going to see this ever again. So Europe um, in Uncasville, I I heard uh, uh, whispers that there will be changes for. Europe, so I don't know how how much is going to get get changed or or uh, how how little. Who knows about that yet? We still have about eight weeks before that launches. But there was also more of a playfulness on stage. The band felt very comfortable with the material. Uh, it, I think that there is a comfort level in in performing the same song night after night in the same way night after night. You can then lose yourself within the performance, and as the tour went on, you definitely saw that, uh, which which made it even more pleasant to be able to go multiple nights because you could see how they uh, 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 loved to interact with one another. Um, you know, from a from a, a non musical standpoint, you know, you've got fans going, "Oh my God, Larry's wearing a blazer! Oh my God, Larry's wearing glasses! Oh my God, everybody's wearing clothes that are black and white and or gray." There was very little color, which Kelly Eddington will uh, complain about with this tour because, as she paints, she likes to have lots of color, and there really wasn't a lot of color on this tour. It was black and white and every shade of gray. Um, but this is also a tour that we couldn't have had in 2015 simply because the way that the world events are going on right now and, and, the and, the, and the dynamics of having the current government in place in our country, uh, the 2015 show feels like it was a generation ago. So, um, I think you two grabbed the bull by the horns and wanted to make a statement. Um, and that's why, you know, this is more art than it is a rock show, in my opinion. Not saying that that's good or bad, but that's what it was. And like Colin said, it was very much like Zoo TV. Zoo TV in 92, very, very few changes to that set. And 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 thankfully, I was able to um, compare this particular production with um, with that one. They... Zoo is almost like the innocence to the experience of 2018. Yeah, it's um, it's something where they maybe they've gotten the the ability. Not that they were they've ever they've never been a really spontaneous band. <laughs> they you know even at their most playful or or whatever with set list, but um, they are maybe they had like the last few tours where they did have more spontaneity. They brought Bono let let Bono bring people up on stage and they let you know sort of random songs get thrown in more and and stuff like that. This tour maybe they just wanted it was a reaction to that and wanting to have just sort of like a set list that they locked into and could just try and really nail really well like you said and and I think bearing that in mind I give them a lot of credit. It it was I felt having now a month or so beyond having seen uh, them in Montreal and and then obviously yeah like Sherry catching a bunch of the shows online through Periscope and etc. um it does give you a bit of like, if you're not there in person, it gives a bit of like exhaustion from, um, or a lack of excitement, I guess, knowing that basically every song is going to be the same. And then, like you said, just set song five is going to change. Um, and so you kind of want like the, you sort of wonder, I guess, or I wonder if the, the Larry and Larry and Adam, I think it was whoever it was back after, uh, the Joshua tree tour of the, the original Joshua tour, or they're like, are we just going to be a greatest hits band going out on stage performing the same songs night after night? 
and sort of complaining about that idea and then coming up with Suzu TV is like the response to that, what they're going to do now in response to this. Uh, but I guess there's still, <laughs> we still have Europe to sort of contend with. So, cause I did, it did sort of sense to me like, and this is very like subjective. There's no way to know. And cause they, the band themselves never really said much to this effect, but just a bit of like tiredness to the performance sometimes where where that when they know what's coming next guitar wise or drums or whatever it's very uh procedural and not as like doesn't have compact with as much emotion but i think they do they're a band that has does feed and has fed off the audience in such a huge way that the band the audience's excitement over hearing pride for the millionth time or whatever um pushes them over into back into like just enjoying the moment regardless of how many times they've played those chords or hit the drums for that or whatever um so I think it's uh it's by any measure on the positive side for sure it's a thing where you should get to see this show if you can whatever sort of measures you're allowed or able to take to get out and see the show in Europe worth seeing by definitely and even if you saw Innocence and Experience I think I think we would all agree right like there's no way to to sort if you saw Innocence and Experience that you should be like oh, I've already seen this show I should just I can skip this one right like Am I? Yeah, it, it's a completely different experience. Um, yeah, innocence is, in a sense, a more compromising show. I think that it does it. Uh, it it kind of takes the spontaneity, like we talked about. The those first few East Stage songs were very rotational. Yeah, you got Elevation Desire most nights, but there were more nights where you didn't hear either of those back to back. And it was, I think, innocence and experience was at the end of the day, a more full kind of experience and spanning different emotions than experience and innocence, which felt very much of the, of right now and of today. Whereas if you if in 10 years you go back and you, you can watch and appreciate innocence and experience because the themes that they're talking about are lasting, you know, with whatever, whether it be refugees, whether it be just trying to find home and experience and innocence feels like Sherry said, this is written for, you know, May through uh, when this, whenever this ends, November of 2018. And you can't like, it, it's just hard to get into this kind of moment when you're not into this moment. And that's great for us. But for people going back and, you know, pillaging through YouTube's history, they might look at back at experience and innocence and think it's almost it's either painful or it's awkward. And that can be. A turnoff for some people, but um, yeah, we'll see if it's I, the post-apocalyptic future that we all end up in portrayed in some of the videos. Then maybe we'll be like, "Those are the good old yeah, days." Yeah, when we're <laughs> when we're hanging out in caves, we'll be like, "Wow, I really miss <laughs> seeing Acrobat." <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think um, you know, uh, you know, as far as the question, well, if I've already seen it, should I go see this show? I mean, th- we're talking really only about four songs that are similar to that show um everything else is pretty much brand new mm-hmm. um and i think innocence the innocence tour conceptually you know it's it's very strong up until about the east stage stuff and then it kind of becomes more greatest hits you know kind of becomes more of a greatest hits show um not that that's a bad thing i'm just saying that's kind of what it is uh but this one there's definitely a structure to it that uh you know it's it's definitely it doesn't veer off into uh any sort of you know greatest hits territory it's um and also you you've also got if you're in, in the stands 
there's you know an extra visual treat on the east stage that they didn't have before uh so they're really they're really playing with that the ramp and the east stage and you know Mm -hmm. throwing in graphics and everything which i think is really cool i didn't get to see it in the stands i wish i did so i'm really looking forward to you know a home video version that will fill me in on everything that happens there but um no this is i i you know definitely you know, don't skip this if you if just because you only saw you've already seen Innocence. There's four songs that you will have seen already that they're pretty much kind of doing the same way again. But that's you know a small part of the show uh, and a pretty necessary one too. So, yeah, I, I remember what 2015 as Devlin said that they could have done so much more. That that Innocence and Experience was only at 50 percent of what the the grand concept was. So I'm thinking that, you know, looking at what they've been able to do in 2018, hopefully they did take a lot more of, of as his design and incorporated it in going back to uh, the Joshua tree tour though, being able to get those 11 songs performed in 2017 that allowed that space in the set list for them to incorporate those different songs, which 2015 didn't have that luxury for. There were people, um, ain't going to lie. There, there were people who were missing songs from uh, Joshua tree. I mean, at the, <laughs> the end of Boston one, this was so funny. Uh, a couple people, a couple rows behind us uh, uh, at the end of the show tapped tapped me on my shoulder and said, uh, uh, is that it? Did they really end with 13? Where was I still haven't found what I'm looking for? Where's streets? They're coming back, right? Like, no, that was the end of the show. And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah, that's the end of the show. Well, why haven't the lights turned back on? Well, because the band's getting into their cars and they're getting out of the arena, the lights will come back on once they're out of the building because that's what what typically happens. And she's like, I can't believe that they didn't play streets. I'm like, a lot of people can't believe that either, but they kind of told people they weren't going to be doing that. Um, So, uh, yeah. Um, Edge said in Rolling Stone, this was a tour for the diehards and, uh, uh, for the, for the committed fan, that was it for the committed fan. And, uh, I believe that he hit the nail on the head with describing it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting turn of phrase for, for the band. Cause I mean, you could, there's many different ways you could spin that of like, I guess we'll, we can sort of dive into the bit of the negative side of any of our review as it were of the tour but um you know you you would think for the diehards you'd want sort of more deeper cuts and and a less repeated uh set list every night that kind of thing but uh i'm willing to go with him on that idea and and also that sometimes in interviews you kind of just say stuff (laughs) too which i think as we look at what may be coming in the future with what edge adam etc have said um it feels a bit like Adam and Edge have been asked to do a bit more on the speaking tour than Bono, maybe for whatever, whether it's health reasons or just because Bono's used up all his words for 2018 <laughs> already <laughs> and uh, in all his speeches during the shows. And so he has to save his words for Europe or whatever. But, um, you know, they're, they're obviously, I think they're get, They're able to be a little more freer. They're not so much uh, PR controlled maybe as they used to be back in the day and speaking for the band and and the organization more than they used to be. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens. So I think Bono's letting, 
Sorry, I think Carrie, Bono's, go ahead. So, sorry. I, I think Bono's letting the music do the talking this time. He learned his lesson back in 87 about being too, too speechy about politics in countries <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, even my dog agrees, um, 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 about politics in a country that he doesn't uh, uh, have citizenship to. So they've just been letting the visuals do the talking. They're letting the music do the talking. And Edge has been a lot more uh, uh, vocal about his political leanings and um, and such, uh, far more than he's ever been. Um, so that's been a refreshing change. So what were you about to say, Mason? No, I just, uh, I, I only wanted to bring this up just because I did hear some people deriding it and, uh, criticizing edge for it, where the key word in committed fan is committed. And they said themselves, we want people to, we worked our butts off to get these songs of song to write songs of innocence and songs of experience. And, you know, committed fans aren't the ones who, uh, will just outright refuse to listen to it just because it's not new committed fans. will give it a shot or committed fans will maybe even grow to like it. So I just, and I happen to agree with him. I came into my YouTube fandom with songs of innocence and songs of experience. So in a ways, Cedarwood Road is my where the streets have no name or Iris is my wither without you or whatever. And um, I just, you know, I, I don't fault them for kind of <laughs> forcing us to eat our vegetables in a way <laughs> and like making us <laughs> like pay attention to this. This is good, too. We, we really we w- worked on these songs for you and we want you to enjoy them. And if you have to force if you have to twist some arms to do it, I think that's more than appropriate. Yeah, and I think they really, I mean, they they really do sell these songs. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I I got to say, I was not really excited about You're the Best Thing About Me, and I wasn't excited about hearing it performed live. I thought it was just going to be, you know, just just a song to get through to get to the next thing. But the the intro to it is beautiful, and the stripped down, I was not expecting the stripped down version that they ended up doing, and it totally sold me on the song. Like, I'm absolutely a fan of that yeah. song now. Uh, same with um, Love is Bigger Than Anything in Its Way. I mean, I like that song, but I think they really, I think they sell it big time live. At least the shows that I went to, the mm-hmm. audience is really into it, uh, as though it were a classic U2 song. And I mean, yeah, he's doing the, you know, wave your arm thing, which is a, you know, gimmicky thing that a lot of rock stars do, which is, you know, to get the audience into it. But it works. I mean, and, you know, and, the, you know, the melody is there and it, it sounds beautiful. Um, so, uh, you know, so I mean, they're they're definitely really just the commitment to these songs. I think is really special on this tour. Mm-hmm. You would hope so because this is a tour to promote the album, so yeah. <laughs> they haven't lost that in translation either. I mean, they're still right. playing eight or nine songs off the new album. Right, that didn't happen uh, on 360 when they were doing No Line no. on the Horizon. I mean, they dropped, <laughs> but they did what? Uh, by the end of that tour, they were doing maybe two or three songs off that album. Yeah, if yeah. That. 2009, you know, they they were really hyping it. And by the end of the tour in 2011, yeah, it was like Get on Your Boots and uh, No Line. I think was Moment of it. Surrender was uh, the magnificent. The oh, yeah. and Moment yeah. of Surrender. Yeah, yeah. Moment of Show Ender, as I like Boo. to call. It. <laughs> I love that album. I, no, I, I am upset. By that album. <laughs> I am upset. They had they made a song for the fans called "The Showman." That was yeah. his letter to the fans. <laughs> we got it spoken word maybe twice, 
And that was it. You are performing this to your fan community and you're not doing the song that you wrote for mm. the fans. That would so, have been a good song for McFisto to sing in character. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then yeah. you get one side going, you make it look so good. The other side goes a little more better and, and, it's, yeah. and it's a lot more playful. It was um, a little bit of a whiff. I agree. Yeah, you know, and then you also had those who really missed little things that give you away, thought Mm. that this was a missed opportunity, expecting it to really shine on this tour, and it never showed up. So, you know, those are two areas that I just felt like you missed the boat on it if you were to to have any Mm -hmm. major criticisms at the start of the of the of the tour. Uh, they were um, uh, on one of their Instagram feeds. They had shown this big wheel of right. like a carnival barker wheel that that had the seven deadly sins on it. And I guess it never really fit physically uh, as part of the show. So what they did, um, getting back to your point, Colin, about um, I'm having something uh, visual on the um, E stage. Uh, during Desire, they it looked like a roulette wheel or 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 a um, carnival barker wheel, and it was spinning with the seven deadly sins uh, uh, spinning around on that, wondering which one are you going to fall on. Um, so they were at least able to incorporate that visually, if not you know physically. Um, so that's like a little uh, uh, um, minutia point that that. Uh, I don't think anybody brought up about the tour yet, but no, I, I feel like there were a couple missed opportunities. I felt like, um, uh, once again, with the AR app, it was more kitsch than anything else. Um, um, I'm, I'm not bothered by it one way or the other, but it did drain your cell phone battery quite a bit and it never changed throughout the tour. You still had the iceberg. You still had the melting. You still had the big black square once the iceberg was gone. So that was kind of (laughs) glitchy about it. Um, And then that was it. You only used it for what the one song and, and for the pre-show and and that was it. You could have done a lot more with that. At at least the two shows I saw in Montreal, they didn't even, there's nothing on the screen to tell you, there's never an indication to pull out your phones or to like use it in any way. People you just had to know yeah. all those. Um, um, Is that the same uh, like right from Edel the beginning? Posters. Yeah, yeah. All the um, all the Edel Studio posters would be showing, and then all of a sudden the screen just went to the static thing. Yeah. And Tulsa, you just had to naturally know that yeah. you pulled out your phone. So of course, you know, those who did were instructing others what was going yeah. on and why we were holding up our phones. And then the venue started sending out r- reminders about the show coming up and oh yeah, don't forget to download the Experience AR app uh for use before the show starts. And I think Willie didn't want to put on a on the screen turn on your app now type of thing. He just wanted it to happen organically. So some people took advantage of it. The problem is, is in areas of the venue, if you were on one of the corners, you couldn't trigger it because you couldn't get the right angle on the app. And in some arenas, especially Uncasville, because it was so small, we didn't have the screens on, on the opposite ends of the stage where, um, Mm. you know, I was straight on, in back of the stage. So I couldn't see what was on either side of the screen and we didn't have a screen. So I couldn't even take advantage of it from my seat for the last show. Right. Um, 
But yeah, but, you didn't you didn't miss much with it. But it is just an yeah. odd thing to like have made a big deal out of the fact that they're using it and then not really do much with it. I mean, it was a neat little intro and a way to get into the show, uh, into thematically. But um, it was yeah, an odd choice of I, I feel like anyways ways to sort of embrace that. And even like McFisto's segment could have like played a bit with technology and stuff. Oh my too. goodness, yeah. we need the McFisto filter. Yeah. Yeah. For oh, our yeah. Instagram. Well, Instagram actually just today I saw I got a promotion in Instagram or a thing, a news thing saying like the new like artist specific face filters now available. So if you follow Ariana Grande or whatever, you get her face filter. So like it would be such no, an thanks. easy marketing push. Yeah. <laughs> whether you like but there's that idea of like what a perfect way to like just promote this tour into an audience of folks who will never <laughs> not never, but likely never grace the arenas of uh, experience and innocence on on the next leg or whatever uh, and plus just having a bit of fun with your fans too like giving them because i don't know it would it'd be some promotional cost that they'd have to eat obviously to do that but they've already got the filter made so just copy it over to instagram and away you go it is a like the you brought up a bit of the set listing since we're we're having trouble being in the negative spirit because i know we all love you too <laughs> but the that idea of like the having they've often called the sort of heart of darkness of the set list or whatever, and sort of maintaining the Iris Cedarwood Road Sunday Bloody Sunday until the end of the world segment, um, which I really enjoy. Like and definitely sorry, not Iris. I would definitely still keep Iris, but the Cedarwood Road Sunday Bloody Sunday, which I'm really happy they kept in so that I could see, but because I didn't see Innocence and Experience, but sort of wondering like yeah, like uh, just skipping the sort of downer dark part of the sh- portion of the show like they normally have. Where like a um, uh, yeah Sunday Blade Sunday or Bullet Blue Sky would have previously occupied, and just going with like little things and other like new album material that they could have just sort of worked in, and I think I don't know that people would have been that missed the those songs as much. Sunday Blade Sunday obviously had its moments, and it was a really neat performance of it. But again, replicating what they had from Innocence and Experience into this tour, I feel like that was where they could have been a bit more interesting um again if they're going for sort of the like feeding us our vegetables or whatever like mason said um that would have been a great spot to throw some carrots in i feel like but (laughs) yeah i called that lazy i actually put in print that that was lazy that they had copied uh Mm. uh the production uh uh note for point by point yeah on those particular tracks well, then, wouldn't that undercut the ending then? If you don't see Cedarwood Road, uh, you know, on the screen, then for most people, he's just, why is he taking a light bulb out of a house? You know? Yeah. It, it doesn't, like, I, I agree that they could, it could have been a little bit more inspired. Bulb. Yeah, but they didn't do uh, um, Joey Ramone. So where's this light bulb coming from? Well, I, um, I don't think the light bulb is as big as, is, is as important as the house is. I mean, people, I think people are, maybe uh smart enough to kind of understand the symbolism behind taking a light out of a house and to if you don't have cedarwood road or that little area of of the show then that on the ending you don't really understand it Uh, it, it'd be almost like a plot hole kind of and also i i mean not just cedarwood but iris iris ends with uh you know the star you know bono's uh, yeah. know, the image of bono's mother going into the stars and the stars creating this big light bulb that goes into this house and that's where exactly. cedarwood road starts so mm-hmm. i i mean i i definitely think there's a through line in there that 
makes the very end of the show make more sense. Mm-hmm. And you can't just assume that everybody remembers a few years ago in the Innocence Tour that the, that the show started with a light bulb. You got to kind of yeah. like either remind certain people or, you know, uh, or just give everybody a chance to, you know, get in on that image and, you know, make it make it uh, mean what they want it to mean. So I, I, I don't think it's lazy. I think it's necessary. There is also, though, I just I want to point this out because it's not really obvious. Lights of home is a light and it's a home. Yes. And so yeah. when you have the home. I, I don't follow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> there, yeah, I agree. I created like, it there. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that there, that's definitely an option. You, do. you could have incorporated it into the one. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, we could. I know we can debate that a few different ways, and and I think that's where I I wish I'm like on the one on the positive side. I'm really glad they had a, a strong set list that they just locked into and went hard with. And this is our game plan for the the tour or whatever. On the other hand, I I wish night two, night three, or whatever in various stops they could have said, "What if we did you know this there and s- just tried that out." Uh, on the crowd, not just, you know, in, in Laval or whatever at rehearsal, but actually tried it out and just really sort of blew some folks' minds with a bit of the full production, full song, not just like uh, changing the song with no video elements added to it. Um, but that's asking a lot more of production crew and the poor video. And one other criticism, right now, this tour is not slated to go to Australia. It's not slated to go to Asia. Yeah. <laughs> it's not slated to go to areas of the world that hasn't had a U2 show since 2010, 2011. Um, and that's not right. Yeah. Um, I think people know very strongly that there is a U2 come to Australia movement out there. And um, uh, Chris, I think in the mailbox, somebody asked about, uh, uh, do we believe Adam when he says that they're not going to tour in 2019? Um, what a missed yeah. opportunity. So uh, when they do tour again, do not open in the States. Do not open in, in, in Europe. Open in Australia. Honor those fans, please. Or Saskatoon. Yeah. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> or better yet. Better yet. Uh, remember original when, Innoc- when, they f- when Innocence first started, they were going to do two nights in every city. Yeah. Like they booked two nights in every city because it was one night was going to be Innocence. The other one is Experience. Go back to that for these, for these places. And do like, it for do- them. Yeah, exactly. Do like do the innocence show. Do the innocence show on night one. Do the experience yeah. show on night two. Do it. And then night three, do Joshua Tree tour. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> get it all in one fail swoop. There you go. Exactly. No, they get innocence, then Joshua, then experience, like we did, right? That's yeah. Or yeah. just do yeah. one long nine hour show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do we think the like the sort of sort of looking to the future a bit and and whatever may happen for Europe, obviously, but it is like I agree, Sherry, that they they almost like i don't know as a for australian fans new zealand uh you know elsewhere in the world that haven't had u2 japan. really japan and uh south america got them on joshua tree but didn't get innocence and experience right if, if i remember correctly right um saskatoon don't saskatoon forget. has never had u2 so let's not <laughs> leave them out of this manitoba still miss <laughs> manitoba they actually winnipeg has had them so uh but anyway no, okay. island uh, I know nothing about Canada yet. <laughs> sorry, You're throwing off. My I just know Trebek is from there, so that's my reference point. Right there, you go. <laughs> uh, but they did kind of like he. They left the door open enough at the beginning of the 
the experience tour and the promotion of the experience tour, like, oh, we'd like to, oh, we might, oh, we'll see. And I really feel like they did a bit of a, I don't know, a disservice to now, like the messaging kind of feels like, again, whether it's official or just like Adam speaking off the cuff is probably not likely not going to happen. No, we're not. And it's kind of like, it reminds they me of on like, Australian 60 minutes and said, we're coming. Yeah, well, yeah, they, I was about to bring yeah, that up. Know. Edge yeah. said that. He said we're coming, and Bono had to wheel it back immediately, which has never happened ever <laughs> in the history of the world. So I, that seems strange. Yeah, if oh, you shit. don't have, if it's not fully booked, you don't say that, and that's true well, for a concert, a movie, a theater production, anything. Well, Sherry, I mean, you, I think you feel like you're the one to ask this because you have all this tour knowledge, but um, like, I mean. Would they have announced it by now if they were going to do Australia or Japan or something? I mean, could they conceivably announce it like in October or November? And- they announced Uncasville a month before they went to Uncasville, give or take. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but um, um, they should do something. And I don't mm-hmm. think that they are in a position. I mean, think about when they announced South America dates. It was right at the start of the U.S. leg uh, um, um, of the second U.S. leg for the Joshua Tree tour, right? The the petition finally right. got through, and they figured it all out, and all that other stuff. Guy so it's still conceivable. Yeah. Yeah. And January, February time is summer down there. You would think that you would want to tour while it's warm. Um, so it is conceivable. My. My other point is, is, is that after what happened with all the fan club hullabaloo with verified fan and codes and all this other stuff, what is going to be the hook that's going to get people to renew their subscriptions for 2019? What's going to be that hook? Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, as of right now, it's not going to be concert tickets. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got a lot of Australian fans who were holding on to their codes, expecting that the tour was going to come down there. They're holding their codes for the Australian dates, only to have them not show up. And now they can't use their code because all the pre-sales had already ended over here. And and this has happened tour after tour after tour now. This is now three tours in a row that that fan base. So why should they buy into U2.com? Why should we buy into YouTube.com going into 2019 if we know that concert tickets aren't going to be a part of it? So I think that those types of conversations need to happen in figuring it out. I mean, I know that the band are probably tired. They want to, you know, live life again. They don't want to be constantly on the road. And I get that. Um, But you've got to take care of your fans. And I think that they've completely overworked the North American fan base. Yeah. Yeah, judging just by how many times we look at the uh, arena setting and and see how many sections are are curtained off. I mean, that's right. yeah, that's that's a symptom of that, definitely. Mm-hmm. And three hundred twenty five dollar tickets aren't really going oh, to God. win people that's, over either. That I mean, my God! But that's yeah, a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's part of it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I do have but some that negative is, things. To that say is about a criticism. Yeah. You know, we're running out of money <laughs> yeah, exactly. in this in this part of the world. And uh, our economy isn't exactly going to be too good for the next couple of years if these tariffs end up uh, kicking in. So, you know, they really have to think about uh, uh, um, other ways to get to the fans. And there are other parts of the world that deserve to see them. 
Well, and the they under I, like underestimate, I guess might be the right word. The the, the ability, uh, although like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, of North American fans like Sherry and others to, as she leaves to go somewhere <laughs> to they, they underestimate their the fans ability to travel i guess too because we see at every show like there's people from all over the world at we're at montreal that have been at all the you know lots of shows so like if they put on a show sort of a tour in australia new zealand or japan or south america like north american fans will who are want to will travel and will come see those shows as well especially if there's any hint just like Australian fans have to deal with of them not coming to North America for a couple of years. Like the fans will travel and um, they have that. I mean, they're the fans are obviously generally Mason, notwithstanding in that older demographic. And so they're, you know, of the age and means probably to travel, not all of us, but <laughs> some of us anyways. Um, and so they will do that. If we know that, uh, like I think of Fabiano in Brazil, a listener of the show and a friend of at U2 who's like, travels everywhere that youtube goes and you know saves his money and whatever and that's what his sort of hope vacation budget i'm assuming <laughs> goes towards um and uh and that's you know what what we'll do so i don't know we'll see i we just hopefully any australian and otherwise that uh, we keep using australia as the main one but japan uh other parts of the world that haven't had youtube Kiwis, new zealand, yeah, new zealand folks uh, wanna, i mean make a vacation out of it yeah you head it up Yep. Japan, hit up uh, Australia, hit up New Zealand, plan a couple, plan two shows on Saturday and Sunday, and then you got the rest of the week to yourself. I don't know. Do a Zuropa uh, tour in Australia, yeah. and I guarantee you, the North American fans will travel. <laughs> we are we're looking at the 30th anniversary of Rattle and Hum, mm. which means what 89. So that would have been 29 years ago. You had the Love Town tour, where they took over Australia for practically the month of what October a little bit of September, most of October, and just, you know, heavily played down there for the month. Do that again. <laughs> yeah. Please. But I, I think they might be beholden. They might be too beholden. And I can understand this from a, you know, a business production side. They might be a little bit too beholden to the idea that we have to have a concert experience set up. We have to have our, the, the big screen for Innocence Experience, the big screen of Joshua. You could really strip it down and do like a, an 87 kind of tour without as much hullabaloo because they just want to see you. They just want to see the band play where you don't have to think, well, we have to have a narrative for this and we have to have this for that and that for that. Like just go play 20 songs, pick some favorites, pick some, you know, B sides and or lesser known songs and just have fun. I don't think they're really hope. I haven't spoken to any Australians in my life, but I can't imagine that they're going to be too big. <laughs> It's like, oh, well, we need I to hear Acrobat. <laughs> there you go, Australians. You can tweet at Mason, at not Mason yeah, Merritt. He'd love to talk family. to an Australian someday. Not, please. <laughs> it's on his bucket list. <laughs> you guys are like unicorns. I just know, I know they're out there. I just have never seen them. <laughs> it's got to be more than just Paul Hogan, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know who that is, so sure. Wow, okay. There you go. There's That starts your research. Is he the brother of uh, Stanford, former Stanford quarterback Kevin Hogan? Because I know him. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. All right, everybody. That was. That's uh, not yeah. a knife. <laughs> That's <laughs> a knife. Mason, you don't trust me, Mason. You don't need to see Crocodile Dundee one, two, or three. Oh, you're talking uh, about Crocodile Dundee. I've seen Crocodile yeah. Dundee. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. That's yeah. Paul Hogan. 
Yeah, that's not Australian. To my Australian fans, I'm so sorry that this is the path we've chosen (laughs) with this conversation. I love you. You have a great (laughs) continent. The only continent that's a country. It's fabulous. Way to go. Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing Australians love. It's being characterized by a movie from the 80s continually for the rest of... <laughs> okay, fine. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. There, that's a great <laughs> Australian movie. No, I still enjoy that. Film. What you should watch, Mason, is The Castle. That's the definitive Australian oh, movie. Oh, The Castle's good. Yeah. Mm, okay. Uh, anyways, <laughs> a very young Eric Bana in there, I think. Um, all right. <laughs> Somehow but we got off the Chris, yeah. Go ahead. One other thing um, <laughs> about the tour, and this is more um, at you 2 housekeeping type of thing. I would like to say thank you to all the fans who came and tracked us down to say hello, Mm -hmm. to say they love their podcast. They love what we do. They appreciate what we do. And um, uh, I'm, I mean, of the shows that I went to, there must've been at least a couple hundred um, Mm -hmm. uh, combined uh, who reached out. And, and, and I know that other staff members who are at shows had a similar experience and we do this all out of love and passion for the band and for the fan community. And it's when we get tour seasons, when we get to be able to go out there and to see everybody too. So, so it's, mm-hmm. it's been such a joy to see all of you to um, hear your stories, to uh, hear your story suggestions and um, and just know that we do this out of a love and appreciation for the band and for the fans out there. Um, and we volunteer our time and services. So, you know, I, I, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who uh, tracked us down. Yeah. And yeah, special shout you. out to the gentleman uh, share. I, don't, I can't remember his name or what uh, re- denomination he belongs to, but who who bumped into us at a restaurant before Tulsa was about to begin. He was great. It was great meeting him. He's either a reverend or a pastor. You, you know, you know who you are. Whoever you're out there, uh, if you're out there. So maybe thank he you. was Australian and you didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> no, not with the way he rolled those R's. Absolutely. Not. <laughs> this is our. Uh, you've given us a great life speech, I guess. Right? Is the <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yes, definitely, and and uh, it's it's always fun to interact, uh, especially you do a podcast like this and. Uh, Unlike a U2 show, we have, well, right now it says there's seven people watching live. It may be seven people, or it could be a bot for all we know. Um, and uh, we're hoping folks are actually listening out there. And some of you seem to be because you respond on Twitter and stuff like that. So, but we don't have a, a live concert venue where we're, where we're recording this, I guess is what I'm saying. And so it's fun to, to meet you all out there in U2 land, wherever we have to run into each other concerts and stuff. feels like we're shutting down the podcast or something. I don't know why we're all sudden all nostalgic, <laughs> but thank you. I guess I wanted to add on, thank you to the folks who are mixlering and periscoping and all that stuff. Uh, those kinds of things as well. And giving us, a, a peek into the shows that we weren't able to be at as well, which is awesome. And Instagram stories and live and whatever else other mediums we choose to stream this stuff on. Notably absent this year was per- Meerkat. Unfortunately, poor one out for Meerkat. <laughs> Never did come back. Well, they're native to Australia, so this <laughs> would be in bad taste. <laughs> they're actually, it's funny because the Meerkats are, there's, there's an exhibit at our local zoo. So every time I drive by their zoo, there's a Meerkat sign. And I think, oh, I remember back when they used to stream and now yeah. they're stuck at the Saskatoon Zoo. So anyways, 
I think that's it for this episode. Um, the uh, You can send in your comments, questions for the show uh, using Twitter if you want, using hashtag askatu2, and we'll cover it in a future episode. You can find at you 2 on twitter.com slash atu2, facebook.com slash atu2com, instagram.com slash atu2com, and there's the at you 2 news brief, which you can ask for from your uh, smart device of choice. Your um, What's the Amazon one? I, I'm blanking for some reason right now. Alexa, Alexa, the Google Home, the Siri one. That's a a new one to me that you can ask for news briefs on if you're uh, up to date on your iOS uh, software. And uh, um, you can also check out anchor.fm slash ATU2s if you want to subscribe directly on there. And uh, Mason, you're at not Mason Merritt, right? On Twitter. Yes. Anything else you want to pin? Life of anonymity. There you go. And Sherry, where are you at? Uh, you know where to find me. I'm at Matt McGee. <laughs> Colin, how are you? Uh, at Colin underscore Suter. Yeah, don't watch. If you're watching the video version, I, I didn't put the underscore in there. So, Oh, make sure you put the underscore because yeah. somebody in Minnesota is going to be really confused. <laughs> there actually is another Colin Suter out there with the exact same spelling. Who oh, Got to fight him. That's yep. rules. <laughs> That's the rules. <laughs> Hopefully he's not from Australia. Uh, I'm Chris on Twitter, and uh, that's it for this episode. You can find show notes, uh, links to stuff we've discussed, and past episodes at goodstuff.fm slash ATU2. We stream this live Wednesday night sometimes, Thursday afternoon sometimes, uh, over on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash goodstuff underscore FM. And uh, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Thanks for watching wherever you are in the world. Have a great day. Bye. Which is why Edge and I have taken up miniature golf.